Haptics with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Today we'll talk about haptics, the sense of touch, and its application in virtual interactions and robotics. In his very first interview for RoboHub, our new interviewer Shihan Lu speaks to Heather Culbertson, Assistant Professor of Computer Science at the University of Southern California and Director of the Haptics Robotics and Virtual Interaction Laboratory. Their work focuses on how humans interact with our world, with technology and with robots, through touch. She discusses her work on texture modeling and rendering, social touch, as well as her thoughts on connections between haptics and robots. Hi Heather, welcome to the Robot Hub. Hi Shia Han, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, could you introduce yourself first? Uh, sure. My name is uh, Dr. Heather Culbertson. I'm assistant professor here in the uh, departments of computer science and aerospace and mechanical engineering at the University of Southern California. Uh, here I direct the haptics, robotics, and virtual interaction or Harvey lab. Could you introduce uh, about the haptics a little bit since it's kind of a new concept to the most of the people here? Certainly. So haptics is Everything to do with the sense of touch, uh, how we interact with our world through the sense of touch and how we can use uh, touch in technology to um, improve our interactions with the virtual world, with robotics, with computers and with other people. And so the, the field of haptics involves a wide variety, very diverse uh, number of researchers from fields of neuroscience and perception, from mechanical engineering, computer science, uh, electrical engineering, focusing on perception and hardware and controls of creating these devices that we can use to display touch sensations to really make you feel things that aren't there. Yeah, sounds good. Um... Since you are the director of the Haptics Lab in the USA, could you tell us a little bit more about um, the big picture of your lab? So my lab here is still very young. We've um, My lab's about a year and a half old, so we're very much growing and branching out into a wide variety of fields, focusing a lot on haptics with a focus on perception and how we can emphasize perception to create devices that um, work best with humans. And so a couple of our projects in lab focus on social touch. So studying how humans interact with one another through touch and how we can use um, and how we can use technology to kind of bridge the uh, bridge the digital gap per se to allow people to still communicate the same uh, emotions and social touch cues over a distance. Say, you know, a hug from your grandma or a handshake in a virtual meeting. We also w- look a lot at uh, data driven haptics. 
about um, how we can model and create the feeling of realistic virtual objects using data we've collected from real-world interactions. Several of my students are also focused on creating novel wearable devices that we can use um, in virtual reality or in other communication scenarios um, using pneumatics and fluidics. So these would be soft wearable armbands that allow you to move freely in the world but create natural um, natural feeling sensations. Thanks. Um, things you mentioned, the data-driven method for the texture, modeling, and the rendering, um, how is kind of different to the traditional model-driven methods? Great question. So traditional haptics modeling for textures and other surface features has focused on physics-based modeling that creates these very complex physics simulations that then generate the... Um, then generate the haptic signals that the in real time that the person would then feel when they're interacting with the virtual surface in um, in VR. One difficulty with these physics-based simulations is that they become computationally intractable when you try to mimic very complex surfaces. So when you're trying to mimic very uh, very complex geometry of surfaces, very complex geometry of the object that's interacting with the surfaces, it just takes a lot of time to both create a model that is realistic and also to generate the um, generate signals in real time that you can play to the user. And so haptics has to be, has to be generated very quickly in order to be realistic, like on the order of about a thousand hertz, which is much, much faster than, um, visual data, which is, you know, on the order of 30 to 60 hertz. And so if we want computers to do that, we, our simulations have to be a little bit lesser in complexity than visual simulations. And so the great thing about data-driven modeling is it kind of takes the inverse approach to physics-based modeling. So physics modeling creates a model to generate the signals based on physics. Data-driven modeling records those signals um, records those signals from interactions with the real world and then models those signals directly for direct playback to the user. And so, for example, if you're trying to model a texture, you would use, um, you would use, say, a tool or some kind of other sensors to record the signals that are generated when you touch a textured surface. And because we know what types of mechanical signals that we are sensing when we touch a textured surface. So like our, our skin has these mechanoreceptors inside. So these mechanoreceptors 
are like touch sensors inside our skin. And some respond to vibration, some respond to slip or shear or normal force. And so we know what types of mechanical signals that we are sensing when we're interacting with uh, the physical world. So what we can do is we can use um, electromechanical analogs of these sensors to record what the actual physical signals we would be feeling. So instead of, um, so for like vibration, you have an accelerometer. For force, you have a simple force sensor. So we can use these sensors then, um, have some kind of separate sensing apparatus like a pen, then um, interact with like a textured surface and get all of this data that tells us these are the signals that are generated when you interact with the texture in a very specific way. And then we model that data and then we can use that data, those models of those data to generate a the virtual texture in real time using just inputs of users motion. And so it's significantly faster to generate um, and to render these types of virtual signals than a physics-based simulation. And they can be a lot more realistic than physics-based simulation because we're recording the data directly rather than trying to create an approximate simulation to generate this uh, data artificially. Thanks for the explanation. Since you mentioned you'd like to use a, your tool to collect the different types of data, like vibration and force, and I was curious what devices you used to collect the data and what kind of actuator you used to render this kind of data. Right. So we have uh, we cr- we have created a custom haptic recording device pen in in our lab, and it has. Um, it has accelerometers in it to measure three axes of acceleration. It has a six-axis um, ATI Nano 17 force sensor so that we can measure the uh, force a person applies to the surface as well as the friction of the surface. And then we have a magnetic tracking sensor to measure the um, motion and the speed of the user. And so measuring the force, applied force, and the speed of the user is is very important as well as measuring the signals that are generated because the um, the feel of the texture is important or the feel of the texture changes based on how the person moves. So if the person moves faster or slower or presses harder, the signals are going to change. So we have to record not only just vibration, but how vibration changes as a function of how the person moves. And we have to take that into account in our models as well. So in terms of rendering, uh, in terms of rendering the hardware we choose depends on how um, complex we want to get in uh, in the output, how much of the surface features we want to be able to render. So for the simplest type of surface rendering we can do, we just need a vibration actuator. And so the type of vibration actuator we choose is called a voice coil actuator which is essentially a glorified speaker. And so it's the voice coil actuator is um, 
really the uh, vibration actuator of choice uh, in, in our lab because you're able to control the magnitude and frequency of the vibration signals separately. And so we can control the vibrations that we want to play to the user very accurately. And so the vibrations that we play to the user can control the, um, can make you feel like different roughness of the surfaces. And so this is contrasted with the, um, this actuator is contrasted with traditional or very, very old school, um, type of vibration motors like um, eccentric rotating mass motors or ERMs. And so these are what were on what were in the old pagers. So they're often called pager motors as well. And so ERMs are um, it's a simple DC motor with a an offset mass. And so they can put output um they're very good at outputting just a simple buzzing sensation, but they're not good at outputting something so complicated as a texture signal because the um, frequency of the vibration is correlated with the amplitude. And so the faster you spin it, the higher the amplitude of the vibration, but the higher the frequency of the vibration. And so you can't accurately control what type of, um, what, what is the signal of vibration that you're sending it to? So that's why we chose to go with the more complicated, uh, voice coil. And so if we, if we want to get more complex in terms of what types of, um, surface feet or what components of the surface we want to render, we can add, say, a kinesthetic device in addition to the vibration actuator. And so a kinesthetic device is also called a force feedback device. And it's essentially a haptic robotic arm. It's, it's, um, that sits on the tabletop and it has motors inside motors and encoders that output a force based on the user's position. So say you want to touch a virtual surface. So it pushes back on you. When you touch the virtual, the um, kinesthetic device pushes back on you when you touch the virtual surface the same way that, say, the table pushes back on me when I press into it. And in that way, we can display surfaces, shapes, um, we can display friction, different hardnesses using pretty simple relationships with this kinesthetic device um, that we can't do with simple, simple vibration. Thanks. Um, thanks for the, all the details about the data-driven texture modeling and the rendering. Now, we, since you also mentioned the social touch, which is a very new concept to us, so would you mind spending some time to explain that? Yeah. So, so social touch is a really interesting, a really interesting field because we're interacting so much more to one another through computers. You know, we, um, we text each other on through our phones. We G chat, you know, chat on through Facebook, Skype each other, but we're really interacting less and less, um, to one another, um, face to face. So re research has shown that not having those direct face-to-face -face interactions and not having the ability to directly connect and have that 
physical interaction with, with people as increases feelings of isolation. And so our project on social touch is really looking at how you can create devices that allow you to add this connection between yourself and the person you're talking to on the, you know, could be the other side of the other side of the world. And um, so we're focusing on creating wearable devices um, that are comfortable to wear and accurately mimic the types of social touch gestures that you can, um, that you use to, to interact with, with your friends. Um, so these, these types of gestures, for examples, are, you know, strokes, pokes, pats, squeezes. There's incredible amount of, of information that can be encoded in just those simple types of gestures. And so that's really what, what we're looking at in, in our lab. Thanks. Um, since this is a this is a postcast for the robotics community, so um, we're curious. What's your thoughts about the combination of the haptics and the robots? I think every robot should have haptic sensing, or at least every robot that has to interact with physical objects. Doubly more so for robots that have to interact with people. And so if you just think about yourself and your sensory capabilities, you don't rely that much on vision. Vision is more, especially when you're interacting with objects, vision is more of a backup sense. And so just, just imagine, say you have a water bottle sitting on the table and you can, you can close your eyes and reach out and still find the water bottle and be able to pick it up. And so you can completely rely on um, your sense of touch to pick up pick up objects uh, and to recognize what objects are. Now think about what happens when your arm falls asleep. And and you know if your arm falls asleep and you can look at that water bottle, but it is really hard to pick it up. And it's because you lose all of when your arm falls asleep, you lose your sensory capabilities in in the hand. And so that's what we ask robots to do when we don't have haptics is we ask them to interact with the world like their limbs are asleep. And so it's it's incredibly hard and there's um, it's incredibly hard for them to be able to recognize where objects are to be able to successfully pick up objects without without the sense of touch and so i'm i'm all for adding adding touch um not only for safety when when interacting with people but i strongly believe that it will increase the utility of of robots and and decrease the number of failures of 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 robots yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for a very interesting illustration. Since I just noticed you wrote an um, annual review paper about the haptics in the next five years, can you talk a little bit about what your thoughts about uh, the future haptics? Yeah, so it's it's a very exciting time to be in the in the field of haptics. I mean, I just got back from the World Haptics Conference that was in Tokyo, and it was. 
the largest conference we'd ever had, almost 700 people. And so it just really illustrates how much excitement and how much research is going on in this field. And we're just each each year we're seeing so many like so much new research um you know come come out of the field and what where the field is really going right now is towards wearables towards wearable devices for um kind of ubiquitous haptics like there's there's a lot of research going towards you know haptics for virtual reality and interacting with the virtual reality in terms of gaming in terms of moving or movies but a lot of researchers are also looking at how haptics can be used in your daily life how can we use wearables and integrate wearables in in your daily life to you know, help you navigate around the world better, to help those with disabilities to better interact with the world and make the world more accessible to, uh, more accessible to them. Um, and so that's, that's what we're, that's what we're moving towards because we're, we people have had these ideas for many, many years, but we're finally getting to the point in haptics where the technology is catching up to the ideas. And so we're getting to the point in terms of sensors and actuators that things are becoming small enough that we can start putting them in wearable formats. And we're starting to get, you know, batteries good enough that we can power haptic devices and wearables and they'll last more than, than 30 minutes. And so I'm just really excited to see where where these things go and where haptics can really benefit people in in their daily lives to where it becomes the haptics becomes the mean for the meaning for uh, and the reason behind um a device rather than just a cool feature of of a device where haptics is right now. If we ask you the biggest obstacle to the to the ideal haptic technology, what do you think it is? The biggest obstacle right now is hardware. Cause there's so hardware is getting smaller, but there still is relatively little amount of hardware that is specifically designed for haptics. Most of the hardware that's specifically designed for haptics is vibration actuators and different different types of vibration actuators. We're reliant on repurposing actuators and other methods from robotics and from other fields. And so we haven't gotten to the point where... we're we're just getting to the point now where things can be much more miniaturized. And so we... We really need companies to get on board with miniaturizing and making hardware specifically for, for haptics or actuators for haptics, not, not uh, like, not hardware systems, but actuators specifically for haptics. Um, cause I know for, for robotics and for haptics, like the field advanced immensely once um, phone companies started putting accelerometers in, in phones and they became cheap enough to, um, that researchers could buy them very easily. And, um, 
And so I see the same trend going towards towards hardware as well, especially if we can get companies in, invested in making the actuators that we need. Since our channel are facing the students, basically the students from is working on the robotics, um, and also who are very motivated about haptics technology. So, what's your personal advice for the students who are very motivated working on this area? So my my advice is to look as much into the prior research and really understand perception, because in order to really create good haptic devices, you have to understand how they are going to work with a person, because you can't just naively put vibration actuators on a person and expect them to work. You have to understand the perception. Behind it, how a person perceives vibration, you know, what's the discrimination threshold? What's the how many you know? What's the density of mechanoreceptors? How many vibration actuators can you put on a person? And so, really understanding the perception and knowing how our sense of touch works is really the、uh, first step into creating good hardware, and it's really the first step into creating good haptics. And so, getting getting a good fundamental and good understanding of that,、um, I think, will help anyone who's who's in robotics who has some background in technology really expand into into the haptics field.、Uh, other than that,、um, try to look at、um, the previous haptics conferences.、Um, you know, Euro Haptics, World Haptics, Haptics Symposium, Asia Haptics. Uh, all these great、um, haptics conferences, and just see, you know, what what kind of research has been presented out there before. Just, you know, read the read the paper titles, read the abstracts. Just get inspired, get motivated by what's been done before.、Um, it's it's just incredible research that's out there. Thanks, thanks for coming. All right, thank you very much. I've enjoyed this talk. And that's it for today. As always, check out robohub.org/podcast for more of our episodes and loads more robot and tech-related content as well. And while you're there, why not check out more information about our Patreon campaign? As our podcast is entirely run by volunteers who give their time and expertise freely, we rely on support from our listeners to help us keep going. Just a few dollars a month would be a huge help. So if you enjoy our content. Check out how you could support us at robohub.org/podcast, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Haptics with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.